Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. I hope you're doing well today. Here is a brand new episode, obviously. And this one is a conversation with James Harris. James is a writer, a comedian, a translator, a language learner, an English teacher. He has many strings to his bow. And he is back on the podcast today. The first time he was on this show was in episode number 670, when we talked about learning languages and going to Oxford University and various other things. I don't know if you remember that. Of course you remember that, don't you? You remember everything, especially stuff that happens on this podcast, every single word, right? Yeah, of course. Anyway, James Harris is back. It's very nice to have him back. And uh, this time we are talking about a few things, uh, as you'll see, but uh, he's written a book and we're going to talk about that a little bit. And he's going to read some sections from the book to us as well. Um, and uh, yes, another conversation with a middle-aged Englishman who's written a book. It's kind of like a little series maybe that I could do. Luke talks to other English men who've written books. Uh, but um, so obviously last time it was John Stewart who has written a sort of an academic book about music. This book, as you will discover, is more of a personal story. And so, well, you'll hear James reading some sections from the book to us in the podcast today. And if you are interested in reading those sections of the book, then you can actually find uh, those extracts uh, on the page for this episode on my website. You'll see the text that he's reading on the page for the episode on my website. Uh, and you could also buy a copy of James's book, which I suggest, and you'll find a link in the description uh, for that. Okay, so without further ado, without any more waffling or rambling from me, let's now talk again to James Harris. And here we go. Hello, James. Welcome back onto the podcast. How are you? I'm great. It's lovely to be back. Nice to see you. Yeah, yeah, you too. I, I have to comment on your tiny microphone at the very beginning of this. People watching the video will see that James um, is holding a, a tiny little microphone, which makes him look a bit like he's on the Death Star talking to R2-D2 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, we were told at school it's not the size of your microphone, but what you do with it. So, uh, um, uh, I mean, I would have a job to do too much with this. But I, I, bought, I bought an extremely tiny microphone, which I thought would add to the experience today yeah it's it's supposed to clip onto your shirt of course uh but uh, it actually we've we've discovered it works much better if you hold it in front of yourself you look like a giant stand-up comedian yeah as opposed to uh, an extremely small one which is my uh, actual destiny but uh visually uh, <laughs> visually I, I i agree with that um comment. yeah okay so are you in london at the moment i am I've, i i last spoke to you i think it was in 2020 because it was when all the pandemic um was just getting started and wasn't that fun um but um yeah i've actually moved since then so i'm now in southwest london um, I'm in uh -huh. the suburbs uh, now, so I'm, I'm living a very suburban existence. But I do live opposite a train station, um, which is basically, I think, every, every boy's dream. Uh, so I get, to, I get to watch trains go past my window all day, which is actually, first time you move in, rather stressful. But as time goes on, actually quite soothing, watching, watching trains go by all day. Mm -hmm. That sounds nice. Yeah, the last time you were on this podcast, and the first time, was in episode 670, and we talked about stuff like your background and going to Oxford University and learning languages and stuff like that. Um, and that was, yeah, we spoke in the middle of lockdown. Um, how, by the way, how, are, how is your language learning coming along? Well, my language learning has come along. I mean, um, 
I've been working with my languages. I've been doing interpreting work um, with with German, which is my strongest foreign language, uh, and I continue uh, to 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 work on my Chinese because my wife is Chinese. Um, but obviously, with China being shut shut down for the last few years, uh, not only have I not been allowed to go there. Um, my wife hasn't been allowed to go there either, so she hasn't been home in over two years now. Um, so hopefully she will be able to to soon. Um, but yeah, no, I mean for me, the learning languages and, and spending time with that is a, a lifelong pursuit. What's your What's your way of uh, working on your Chinese? What's your preferred way? Of well, doing I, that? I hear it every day, um, and it probably says something that my insults vocabulary in Chinese is now pretty sophisticated um and yeah. I, I tend to get a lot of abuse uh and uh, i can give a little bit back now which is uh, which is an incentive yeah who do you get abuse from well i mean chinese uh, people are very uh, are famously very direct and very uh, <laughs> and very insulting um, uh, uh, and um i mean you have to obviously be a certain kind of person to view that as an incentive to to uh, spend time with the language um but I remember... I, and, and to marry one of them as well. Yeah, it was clear before we got married that I was going to be getting a lot of um, <laughs> invective in my direction. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just found it really funny. Um, I have... Uh, maybe it's a Midlands thing. I'm from Nottingham. But I've always thought mm. Midlands... This is one of my little theories about comedy, is that there is a distinctive sense of humour in the Midlands, right? Which isn't mm-hmm. quite the same as the North, and which isn't quite the same as the South. Um, yeah, it's... It's better. It's 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 the best humour. I'm I'm from the Midlands as well. Well, where are you from? Um, I'm from Solihull. Well, exactly. It is very similar, and it's it's something to do with the accent. But it's uh, it is often quite rude in a friendly way, uh, in a yeah. in a sort of mocking way. But it tends to be a bit. Northern people have that as well, but Midlands tend to mock you in a bit of a weirder way. So it's a bit more. Yeah. It's, it's a bit odder when Midlands people like insult each other it's a bit, it's a bit like, am i but anyway there's no such questions with chinese because you know when you're being insulted um but yeah no, it's um uh, so the a regular occurrence for example would be we will turn on the uh the the uh chinese app um wechat which is the yeah. uh, the most common app and mm-hmm. see my 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 mother my um wife's mother-in-law and my father-in-law um, and they, wait, your your my, my, your mother in yeah, that <laughs> not your confusing. wife's mother. <laughs> it's, it's it's early. It's early. Yeah. Okay, but it's not that much. Uh, that would be a real story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be your mother in law. My mother. That's your wife's mum with your with you. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we turn it on, and the first thing they say is, "He's looking fat," or "He, <laughs> he, he looks fat this week," or "I think he's put on weight." Uh, and so I'm, I can quite, I can normally understand what's being said about me. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's um, that's the experience I'm having. Um, okay. But yeah, no. So Chinese is the is is the priority, and I continue to try and keep up my other languages, which are German and French, as and obviously English. So it's mainly just sort of trying to talk to your wife's family. Is this it, or is there a more formal approach that you're taking? Well, I've, with taken, Chinese? I've taken class. Uh, I have taken mm-hmm. class, and I've gathered quite a lot of um, materials by now. Uh, I did uh, pay for an app for a while, which is called Fluent U, which I would recommend, oh, yeah. um, and has just about every language. So anybody who's learning a language, uh, and what they do is they they basically take clips off Chinese social media, put subtitles on it. Uh, in yeah. um, in Chinese, and then give you a quiz about what you've just watched. And I had I that see. for two years, and I found that quite useful. Um, one of the problems, though, is that Chinese has lots and lots of different accents and dialects and ways of um, uh, ways of, of speaking it, and I don't really have any sense of that, um, you know, from where right. I'm learning it. Yeah, it's just lots of people insulting you in slightly different voices. Well, no, it's the local voice. Uh, so it's the, I am being insulted in the... If, if we want to get specific uh, with your listeners, I'm being insulted mm-hmm. in the Guangxi or Guilin dialect of Chinese. Uh, I, I can share with your listeners my favourite insult in that dialect, which is... I was about to yeah, ask, in yeah. fact. Go ahead, it's please. Very, it's very mild, so, but, it, but it, yeah. has, it has a powerful connotation. Halloween, Halloween, uh, and that means silly egg. Halloween. 
Okay, so if you call someone, a, if you're in, if you are in the famously beautiful city of Guilin, don't say that to anybody. But you could, really? you could communicate that you know it. Halloween, uh, silly egg, and it is, a, it is, a, it is a great insult. Is that a powerful insult in that part of the country then? It is, and it's much worse than you'd think for just calling someone a silly egg. It's actually pretty inf- offensive to call someone a, a silly egg. Okay, so your insults are coming along. That's good. And um, so since I spoke to you, one of the things you've done is that you've written a book. Well, I've, I'd actually written the book beforehand, but I've, I've, oh. I've, I've brought the book out. Uh, which okay. is, uh, which is here. I've I've got it here. If you want to, uh, I'll show you. Please. This is my novel, Midlands. Um, Midlands. I've pronounced it a very weird way. Midlands. Um, so links very nicely to our earlier discussion. Yeah. Um, so I published this in July um, of um, of this year. It is self published. I didn't get anyone to publish it for me. Uh, but I started a Substack newsletter about two years ago um mm-hmm. well not two years ago 18 months and it's grown uh, quite a lot so i figured well that, that's that's what what did you start sorry a, a substack newsletter so i write a weekly newsletter which i started um september 2021 so it's been going just over a year now uh, mm. and it's great it's growing quite well i've got quite a decent audience over there um one email a week writing about all kinds of things so i thought well you know now for probably for the first time in my life i've actually got a bit of an audience for my writing um you know which is a different thing from 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 stand-up obviously because that's some something you go and the audience is there or not there but i actually yeah. had a kind of dedicated audience um and so i thought well you know i've got this this novel which i'm quite proud of um so i i will i will bring it out and it's been good yeah it's been good the feedback's been good um i've not i'm not finished with it yet because i'm gonna i'm gonna keep plugging it and um, tr- trying to get it out there. It is obviously just me going around telling people to buy it. I mean, I think I've convinced probably every individual person who's bought it that they, they have to buy it. Uh, but that's that's worked now nearly a hundred times. So you know that's that's okay. Um, yeah, and yeah. it's um, it's a book which is long in the making because I actually started writing it ten years ago, and it, probably the, the the main work was finished by twenty fifteen. It's had a bit of tinkering since then but it has been a very a very slow genesis okay so what's the book about well the book ties in quite nicely to some of the stuff people on your podcast are interested in because when i was a young man and this is um what we spoke about on the on the earlier edition of the podcast i went out to germany um i was probably 22 when i when i first went out and no, i was 21 when i first went out there and i came back to London, I never lived in London before, but it came back to the UK um, at, on the day of my 31st birthday. So I basically had a decade in, in Germany. Um, and while I was there, I actually developed a relatively successful career as a, as a stand-up comedian. We, we don't need to go overboard with the success because it wasn't like, mm-hmm. I wasn't like the Justin Bieber of uh, late 2000s Germany. Um, although Bieber does mean beaver in German. So, so you know. Beaver. He, yeah, he's a German name. Bieber is beaver. Yeah, so he, he, was, um, he was really, uh, he, he had an ancestral connection or has an ancestral connection to Germany, clearly. With so, beavers. Yeah, with beavers specifically, the wonderful he's actually a be- He's actually a beaver. Justin Bieber, no one realises that he's actually descended from beavers. Yeah, although, uh, yeah, I mean, he's descended from people maybe who, made a living by selling beaver furs is probably more likely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I prefer the idea that he's descended from beavers. I think that's a much, much more, that's maybe the secret to his success. Everyone's like, why is Justin Bieber so successful? He's like, ah, you don't realise because he's actually a beaver in dis- disguised as a human. Yeah, I mean, nowadays I'm at the age where, <laughs> where, where like, I, I check in with a hip pop culture reference and they're like, that was, that was six years ago. And I'm like, I've, yeah. I, I've worked hard to keep that one up to Day. So Justin Bieber. So, so like, I mean, I don't. What I'm trying to say is, there's probably quite a big gap in my knowledge of what Justin Bieber's, if if he can still be considered successful, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what I can tell you is that probably about 300 years ago, Justin Bieber's family were living in Karlsruhe in Germany, 
either being beavers or selling beaver hides, as we, right. as we have not <laughs> agreed on, but we've got two different theories there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, how did we end up talking about Justin Bieber? I, uh, I said that, uh, although I was in Germany, I had a bit of yeah. success. Um, yeah. But I you also, weren't exactly the I was, Justin Bieber. But I was, of, uh, I, was, I was going around doing big gigs. I went all over Europe, and I was making a bit of money. And that's when I met you, obviously, which would have probably yeah. been about 2000. 11, 12, probably around then. Yeah, yeah. maybe 13, 14, yeah, something like that. You're, he's very modest. You're, you probably don't say this to your listeners, but when I, when I saw Luke performing, he was actually very funny. Um, oh. so, so I, I remember the set very well. I think you closed it off, and it was, it was, it was very funny. Um, so anyway, oh, thanks. That's, that's very much now back in the day when people were like, wow, Justin Bieber, you're quite hip, aren't you? Um, so... Mm. Um, but what I was having was this really fascinating cultural experience of being someone who'd come to a foreign country and developed a kind of act. And I was having all these weird experiences and I just wanted to start writing them down. The other thing I was thinking about a lot was um, there aren't that many novels, etc., about stand-up comedians, but those there are tend to be quite unrepresentative of what stand-up comedy is actually like. Um, you get stuff like Joker, you know, the DC movie where the Joker's a kind of frustrated comic, but also a kind of murderer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like, we've, we've all had a bad gig. <laughs> that's, that's also that cliche of like, oh, you're a comedian, oh, aren't a comedian's all really messed up, which yeah. is another kind of cliche. Exactly, and once you once you go through the famous books and novels and films about comedians, comedians almost all of them are like that. They're all kind of tortured, um, uh, borderline homicidal, suicidal. You know, there's and so I, I basically I wanted to communicate a couple of things about doing comedy. One, it's very boring. There's a lot of waiting around. Um, comedians tend to be quite serious and obsessive about their comedy, uh, but it's also really fun, or you wouldn't do it. Um, yeah, uh, and so so the book is an attempt to capture kind of life as a road comic in Germany in the early 2010s, inspired by a little tour I went on. It is fictionalised to the extent that I've put a lot of stuff in there that didn't happen to try and make it a bit more interesting, um, but not beyond not beyond like anything which couldn't have happened. I think. Mm hmm. Well, what are some of those weird things that you've experienced then as a comedian on the road? What sort of thing are you talking about? Well, I mean, this isn't actually in the book, but uh, it, it gives you a little example of how weird the space I was playing in. I, I, I was booked to do a gig in Bayreuth, okay? Bayreuth, B-A-Y-R-E-U-T-H, normally pronounced like Beirut in English, but it's Bayreuth mm -hmm. in German. Mm -hmm. um, uh, mm -hmm. The Wagner town, okay? It's the famous for being the town where Wagner put all his all his operas on and um, I went down there to do a gig and uh, I was booked because someone had seen me doing a routine in a club in Berlin um, which was a little bit um, uh, shall we say um, how could we say a bit smutty uh, was, was smutty a bit smutty yeah Sm uh, we're going to need to explain smutty yeah a little bit a little bit um Oh, God, it's, it's difficult to explain to isn't it? Uh, what the French call a bit ooh-la-la, a little bit, a little bit risque. Um, mm -hmm. So a bit rude a and bit, in, a a bit sexual, rude. Yeah. in a sexual sense. No, I, I don't sexual know. Sexual content. Yeah, exactly, in a sexual sense. I don't know how I, uh, your listeners, how, what I'm allowed to say, etc. on this podcast. You can say pretty much anything you want, I, okay. I would say. Well, basically, the routine was uh, relating to the Nazis and S&M, Okay. It wasn't okay. the kind of thing which I normally do, but I had a quite a funny idea. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot my, of leather and My stuff. idea was basically the Nazis were the biggest S&M fetishists in history. S&M. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, SS&M, <laughs> as you could say. And they, they all like, basically it was all an excuse to wear like your fetish gear in public. which, um, which Tight leather trousers. Exactly, and, yeah. a, a lot of the, all that stuff. And it wasn't the kind of stuff which I normally do, but it seems to be that on this one time, this person saw it and they thought it was really funny so they booked me for this gig but I didn't do it in the gig they booked me for because I don't normally do it 
And so I'm about to come off stage, and she shouts out, "Do do the Nazis and S and M?" Right? I was like, "No, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't normally do that. That's just something I did as like a one-off." And then the audience is like, "No, no, do it. Do the Nazis." And I was like, "Oh no!" no. And then uh, and I said, like, "I really don't want to do Nazi jokes." And then all like the Germans, there's like 200 Germans there. They all start going, "Nazi joke, Nazi joke," right? And oh god. <laughs> And you're like, no, not again. No, stop, stop. This is the opposite of what should be happening. Yeah, but I just sort of said, well, you know, Germany has changed, hasn't it? Um, (laughs) And and that was was the weird... It was like, you know, obviously it was funny, it was weird, but it was also quite unique. And I thought, well, you know, maybe some people want to hear about this strange strange journey, which uh, which, which I'm on. Um, Yeah, Yeah. it's written with a lot... It's written with a lot of affection for, for, for those years and... And that, and that time, even though they are increasingly a bit of a way away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Would you be willing to uh, read any extracts from your book for us? Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Um, I have I have the thing here. I've put a bookmark. I, I've chosen a bit, um, which is basically about how the main character, whose name is Stuart, um, um, came to um, Germany. Uh, and how they came to learn German. Um, so basically, mm-hmm. this little section of a couple of minutes um, is about the attempts of the main character to learn the German language. Okay. I'll, I'll try and read a bit slowly. Um, okay. Okay. Because uh, I have a tendency to start reading very fast. Um, okay. So this is chapter two. Then a chance meeting in a pub had earned him an invitation to Berlin. Laura, Danish and short, was staying there for the summer, rummaging around in the archives for information about a particular Jewish family who had gone on to achieve cultural success in post-war Denmark. Laura, a snub-nosed Danish girl with glasses who loved Israel and wheat beer, Student didn't care. Stuart didn't care much about her interests, but did enjoy spending the days reading on her balcony and socialising with university friends at night. By the end of the summer, his hair had lengthened and his German increased 50-fold, meaning he now knew about a 100 words. Hallo, he would say, then, Weltschmerz, and following a further pause, Auf Wiedersehen, saying a final farewell to people he would see again the next day. He also hadn't yet learnt to ask whether something was sugar or salt, leading to an evening eating some very sweet chips. But even speechless, he wasn't, at last, uneasy in Berlin. It seemed to him a gentle city, where the trains slid in and out and the open spaces pacified tourists drunker and rowdier elsewhere. It was like the Germans had become one of the peaceful races in Star Trek, the ones introduced by an insert screen of their orderly, verdant planet, Bajorans, say, or some other species permanently threatened by obliteration. And what a change after the tiny cubicles and traffic jam living of the English, who could only ever be the Borg. Surrounded by pacifists, Stuart reveled in the license of Englishness, his ability to voice the odd mildly aggressive opinion or wildly over-celebrate during the summer's football tournament until England lost. He swam in lakes and bought a bicycle and gradually stopped thinking of England and the ashes it had fed him. In Oxford, where he had been president of the University Sketch Review, people had printed gossip about him in the student newspapers, asked him to leave parties, dealt with him as the man who had committed that deepest and most unforgivable of Oxford crimes, failure. He had failed as a comedian and a young man, and that publicly, his country had rejected him. He had been humiliated in front of an audience of his contemporaries and sent into an internal exile. Afterwards, many of these young dilettantes, at the time apparently picturing future lives as bereft of unforeseen distress as possible, lives composed of simply an endless procession of success, successes occurring within a network of contacts which they had built up at university and which would continue to provide them with unstinting support throughout their adult lives, never violating the simple and essential principle that all was permissible as long as it did well, did not want his name on their social CV. Years later, he took out his stage trousers. He always bought a clean player for shows. Polyester was best on the road because it dried quickly. He stopped with them at half-mast, amused by his scrawny thigh hair in the elegant drawing room, then hoisted them all the way up. Funnily enough, though, nobody cared about Oxford drama in Berlin. 
The relative merits of his performance as director of the Oxford Review meant very little in his new country. Not only that, said country seemed to be dealing with specific and some might say more profound issues of its own. Not that he thought much about those, as Germany faced him with his ample, unique modern annoyances, chiefly the natives' insistence on speaking English with him. Even ten years after his arrival, he would still be battling with the Ottos of this world and their expectation of free English tuition from their Anglophone guests, in a society which had apparently come to assume that English was the langage de choix with any foreigner. Apart from the Turks, now they could and should speak German. (laughs) <laughs> very nice thank you that was chapter two or from chapter two um in it, does your book have any uh, autobiographical elements to it by any chance yeah i mean it's it's uh, it's embarrassingly autobiographical really um i would say the key difference is that the main character is um Stayed called Stuart. In, well, yeah, that would be the key difference, and that's the the the, the veil of fiction. He stayed in Germany, uh, and I came home. So he he lives his life in Germany, whereas I moved back to the UK ten years ago. So I suppose part of it is a bit of a thought experiment. What would have been like if I if I had if I had stayed in Germany? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mm, you talked about in Oxford this failure. Was that, uh, is that based on a true story? Did you, were you part of uh, the sort of uh, uh, comedy team at Oxford and what was it like? Yeah, I was the president of the Oxford Review. So again, another... The Oxford Review yeah. is a sort of entertainment club at Oxford, sort of thing, a comedy team. Yeah, it's the fa- it's the famous one. It's the one which everybody wants to be part of with people like the Footlights. Yeah, it's the. Oh, that's, it's, is that Cambridge? Cambridge's Footlights. Oxford Review is is Oxford. The, the distinction has always been that Oxford Review has been worse than the Footlights. <laughs> <laughs> so, for listeners, actually, this is a really important cultural thing, especially Footlights, because it does get mentioned a lot more. So. Uh, as listeners to this podcast will probably be aware, comedy in the UK is a huge thing. It's like a massive, significant cultural thing. Stand-up comedy on stage, but also TV comedy um, as well. And so Footlights is a sort of breeding ground. As we know, like Oxford and Cambridge produce a lot of the UK's sort of top talent. And uh, it's the same is true for comedy. A lot of people who have become sort of leading comics of the day of that generation went to Oxford or Cambridge and were part of either Footlights or the Oxford Review. And that includes Monty Python. Uh, they they were sort of split between the Oxford Review and uh, Cambridge Footlights. Also, Peter Cook, I think, wasn't he part of uh, Footlights yeah, at Cambridge? Yeah, Peter, Peter Cook, Peter Cook um, broke through pretty quickly. So by the when he was at university, he was already doing shows with the Footlights in the West End. But yeah, his, his generation of um, Footlights is pretty legendary because it was like him, Jonathan Miller, uh, Alan Bennett, the playwright, and Dudley Moore. Uh, and, and lots of others, including people like Stephen Fry, I think, and also um, David Mitchell, no? From, yeah, I think, um, these, I think these are all footlights, though. I think, like, I, I mean, Oxford Review is, is Rowan Atkinson, and then from Pythons is, is Michael Palin and Terry Jones. There are probably others as well. But anyway, so you were president of the Oxford Review. Wow. Yeah, um, and I write about it in the book because it all went a bit Pete Tong. There's a there's a nice <laughs> for your listeners. Uh, Pete it Tong. all went 
Pete Tong. Yeah, all went a bit Pete Tong. Uh, wrong. Uh, as, as it all it, went wrong. It all went wrong, yeah. Um, so it's a bit Cockney rhyme or something. Yeah, it went horribly wrong uh, in my year. Um, which How? Is, well, I mean... <laughs> if only there were a novel dealing with this <laughs> dealing with this information but no, <laughs> it, it was probably the most dramatic thing which has ever happened to me in my life which is uh, dramatic or, or dramatic. traumatic yeah well but yeah. probably both I mean obviously it is, it is student drama but um, what happened in my edition was um, there is every year an annual show at the Oxford Playhouse where the Oxford Review um, does, does the first hour and then the Cambridge uh, Footlights do the second hour um, uh-huh. but in this year the Cambridge Footlights couldn't make it so it became Oxford Review versus not the Oxford Review which was a very bitter, it was like the schism in the Catholic Church I think in insignificance it was like the split between <laughs> Catholicism and, and the Byzantine Church uh, <laughs> it's the biggest thing that happened since then in terms of schisms, yeah. I'd say um, I'd say yeah and obviously you know time will tell whether that's a true statement um but yeah so basically it became this kind of horrible warfare between two student sketch groups but it ended up with um it ended up with um the oxford review show uh, and the not the oxford review um part went on first and was very well received and my part who were the Oxford Review went on and uh, we, we got like heckled and jeered and about 150 people walked out at, at the Oxford Playhouse yeah. which is huge I mean it's like 500 seat you know for a student drama it's way bigger than in fairness I've only ever done since then one venue of a, of a comparable size with my, with my act um, so yeah I mean obviously you've got me I'm 21 years old I'm the president of the Oxford Review I've got all my friends my family everybody he's come this is you know you're going to be a comedy writer you're going to be on the path to all these great people and you'll be on the bbc you'll and be on the, the bbc and what happened is like people shouted out you're all shit and walked out and then after oh, after, after it after it went down i had a massive nervous breakdown and ran off to the shetland islands um and then really and then they ran us some stuff in the student paper which they really shouldn't have done about the fact that i was having a nervous breakdown etc etc um and you know it was basically this enormous um, catastrophic thing to happen in uh, at a very early age. Now, I'm not saying I handled it very well, but in mitigation, I was 21 and full of shit. Yeah. So, so you know, it was it was a bit of a steep learning curve. Um, but yeah, um, I wouldn't say I'm exactly glad uh, of it happening, but I do think that it's. Um, I do think it's led me to uh, a good attitude to failure and success. It's just that it took a rather a long time uh, to, to get to that point. <laughs> it's a very important thing, though, to deal with failure and success. A lot of people, I mean, like some of the people you mentioned in that extract, just go on to have one success after another and they never experience failure, which is, you know, because things are kind of rigged for them in advance, you know, because they're, you know, they're part of the right family and this, that and the other. And they probably work as well no i mean most of the really successful people people i've met are are quite talented and hard working um uh, regrettably uh but the one thing i would say is that i don't think i think very very few people have like completely unbroken success and what happens is if you've had that uh like just a real like you're being nothing you can do wrong a bit like peter cook um when you do have that first failure flop whatever you just have absolutely no tools to deal with it uh, right. and the, the good thing about having messing up uh, at a very early age is that you're like well whenever you do something you're like well this can always go wrong <laughs> you know yeah, 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 yeah. That, that is always a possibility and you will be fine if it does because it's just a play or a book or whatever so that led you to Germany, which is sort of what we talked about before, and then you, and then there you were in Germany, kind of touring around doing comedy, uh, stand-up comedy. Um, what, what's the next uh, part of the book that you wanted to read out? Oh, sure. Well, I thought it's be- beautifully set up. It's like we're functioning on a deep psychic level this morning because the the bit is I'm actually going to read out a bit of the comedy the main character Stuart does so okay. th- these these are basically um, jokes which would at that time have featured in my set um, you might need a little bit of knowledge about Germany to get to get them but let's let's see how they go and if any need explaining I can do that because that makes so is this funny. is 
Is this Stuart on stage doing his material? He's in a pub in Heidelberg and he's doing his big his big jokes um, to, okay. to the crowd. Okay, so this is chapter 14. Don't you sometimes get the feeling, said Stuart, years before on the stage in Heidelberg, that if Barack Obama had been German, it wouldn't have been, yes, we can, but nein, das geht nicht. No, you can't. Everyone would have been chanting it. No, you can't. No, you can't. Of course, in this version, Obama would not have been black. Stuart was closing in on the kill. And this very lack of optimism, he said, treading across the stage, limbering into the really good stuff now, is actually built into the German language itself. Like, for example, when you're really happy in English, you say, I'm on cloud nine. But in Germany, you say, I'm on cloud seven. Does this mean that even in their happiest moments, Germans are two clouds less happy than English-speaking people? <laughs> and after developing that bit, which meant moving into a depiction of an exemplary German, Hannes, in his German heaven, with an allotment, board games, juice, and an autobahn heading directly to Mallorca, he noting somewhat wistfully the celebratory anglophones on Cloud9 who were dancing to Video Kill the Radio Star, which was an excuse to sing it, following which they, the anglophones, called down to Cloud8, Hey, Hannes, man, come and join us up here on Cloud9. And Hannes replying, No, thank you. Everything on Cloud7 is perfectly satisfactory. Then moving on to the speculation, as to the occupants of the other clouds, the French on cloud eight living up, their motor scooters floating off the cloud and down to cloud zero, where the Greeks were, and below them the Cypriots who'd had to sell the cloud and were just falling. After all these and other jokes, Stuart had them where he wanted him. Isn't it funny, since the Second World War, the Germans have been like, Jane's voice, German accent, we Germans, we have done so many things wrong, and there is no way we can ever put them right, and now Greece is like, pause, turn of the head. Well, actually, they laughed and laughed and laughed. They got it. Yay. That's the sound of a huge crowd of people all applauding you all at the same time. Nice. Okay, so how did you find how did you find German audiences? The the stereotype is that the Germans don't have a sense of humor, right? Uh, but is it true? Uh, no, of course it's not. Every every um, every every country's got a got a good sense of humor. Um, probably uh, quite quite similar in a in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. What the big difference is with German life and UK life, I can't really speak to anywhere else because I haven't lived there. Uh, is that Germans go and do comedy at the comedy club or at the theatre. That's when you have your comedy. You don't spend your work day making jokes. Whereas uh, in, in the UK, humour is a permanent social lubricant to any interaction. Uh, Absolutely. Whereas if you do that in Germany, people will just develop headaches and be like, <laughs> why are you making this more complicated with... <laughs> I had a I had a German student once uh, who I remember he was he was really good and he did have a good sense of humour. We had lots of fun, uh, but I can't help uh, doing little jokes and being silly in my lessons. I can't just do even an hour just normal. I have to kind of there has to be some stupid thing in it, and so you know that was going on in the lessons and everything. And then I had to actually put a sign up on the board saying this is a joke, um, and I pointed at it. And after a couple of days, he was like, okay, so I have a suggestion. Maybe we can do 30 minutes of jokes at the beginning of the lesson, 30 minutes of humor. And then after that, you know, we stop. And I was like, you mean just ring fence it into a 30 minute, this is funny time yeah. period. And I just thought, no, sorry, not possible. I yeah, can't the, just The, the do idea that. of spontaneity is a little bit uh, missing there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the idea of spontaneous humor. Yeah. But it's sweet though, isn't it? It's the, it's very sweet. Um, so I was going to ask you, uh, sort of swinging this back to language learning again, I was wondering if, because you've taught English as well, right? Yeah, I still do. You still do. You're an English teacher as well as being yeah. the other things. Yep. yep. You're, you're a trans translator, comedian, writer as well. Yeah. Um, so has being a teacher and a comedian and a writer, has this helped you to become a better language learner, do you think? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and also just really specifically 
teaching English helps mm. me to be a better writer as well, uh, because because it's 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 being able to explain things to other people is 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 a good way of um, ex- explaining them to self, to um, you know, understanding them yourself. I think the I think the basic principle of of all this stuff is that teaching is about clear communication, um, and I think I think Einstein said make things as simple as they can but not any simpler okay so get things down to a point where your explanation is the maximum simplicity and i think that is a good motto for both you know writing learning languages teaching because it gets you to that point where you're like okay i i understand this to the point where i can explain it as simply as i can um mm-hmm. and obviously that when you're learning languages is you are trying for that clear communication that effective communication you know and so it kind of mm. boi- it boils down your communication um yeah and i think that i think it's all it's all really helped going back to the book how can people get a copy of this book this is which is a story about as you say uh, Stuart who goes to germany after his experience in england and then the experiences he has and the stories he has to tell about doing his stand-up. There's, there's another part to, this, to the book as well, though, isn't there? There is, yeah. There's a second part, um, which is another character in Berlin at the same time, Doug. Uh, and it's a story of a love affair, which Doug has. So the book is in two parts. The second part is quite a bit shorter. Um, yeah. But it's a very different um, side of living in Berlin at the, at the time. So, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the format of it is a little bit similar to Christopher Isherwood's book, Goodbye to Berlin, which became um, the, the musical cabaret. Now, I can't say I'm that influenced by it because I've never actually read it. Um, but, but, um, but it is the book which I communicate to people, what's your book like? Well, it's a bit like Goodbye to Berlin. It's several stories set in Berlin about, you know, kind of expat life and, and, and things like that. And there is a, a linking story in the, in the middle of the book where, um, which connects the two and a bit which connects the two at the end. So, yeah, this, the second story is a tale of romance and heartbreak and, and love. No, no, com- mm-hmm. no comedians in that bit. No. So you've got the comedy, the comedian story, and then the love story. Yeah. Is the love story autobiographical as well? How did you guess? <laughs> How did you guess? Yeah, it is. It's highly autobiographical, um, again. But, again, fictionalised because um, the, the story in the book is set after um, the, 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 the love affair. Um, yeah, so... Um, that that it's it's all uh, it's all pretty pretty highly personal um but i don't think it's it's not raw as a, as a book because it's something where i've thought about it time has passed you know so it's not mm-hmm. um it's not me writing wounds which are kind of open in my life at the moment yeah Okay, so where can people get the book? Okay, well, um, you can get it off Amazon, and there's two options. You can have an, uh, a Kindle version or a paperback, um, whichever you want. It's available in all Amazon France, Amazon UK, Amazon US. There's another way you can get it. Uh, if you sign up to my newsletter, Stiff Up mm-hmm. Whip, um, stiff up a stiff quip. up a stiff up a quip. Stiff up a quip. Yeah, it's a weekly uh, email. Mm-hmm. But there is the option to become a paid subscriber, stiffupequip.substack.com, stiffupequip.substack.com. If you become a paid subscriber, um, which is either £4.50 a month or £45 a year, I think, uh, I'll send you a free copy. Ah, so yeah. that's nice. I'll, 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 Stiff I'll, upper, yeah. Links in the upper. description, folks. Yeah. Links in the description. Links on the page for the episode. All the links that you could ever possibly need will all be available conveniently wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, brilliant. Well, okay. Good luck with the book, and I uh, hope Thank that you. you manage to sell it to as many people as possible. And I had one. I had one other thing to add because last time I was on this podcast, you asked me if I had any tips for language learners, and I said. Well, I asked people to slow down, etc., etc. And I remembered mm. after that episode when I was on, that I had another tip which I wanted to yes. give your listeners. Um, because um, one thing I used to find 
when I was learning German and other languages is when people asked me a question, like, is that your coat or whatever, um, I would always repeat the question when someone asked me a question. Is that my coat? You know, and that little moment of having a moment to repeat a question bought me some time to work out my answer. Okay. And also to check that I'd understood the question. <laughs> Plus also you get to repeat the question every yeah. time. So that's a little bit of practice too. In exactly. A, in a way. So it was a very specific thing, but I just, after we had our first chat, I thought, oh yeah, that's something, something that's something you missed. useful. Yeah. So like, excuse me, is that your coat? Is, it, is that my coat? Uh, uh, no, it's not. Yeah, exactly. And you've got time because sometimes when you ha- if someone's asking you a question, you've never met the person before, you're a bit surprised. But you buy yourself a little bit of time to, to sort your answer out. Those little things where you can just buy time are very useful and important. Just little, little time-saving uh, memory or brain sort of enabling little tricks. Yeah. They're very useful. Absolutely. Yes. And that was a specific one. Anyway, it's been, lov- it's been lovely to be back on. You too, yeah. Lovely to have you back on. Yeah, and good luck with the book and all that stuff. Keep in touch. Yes. And uh, listeners, if you enjoyed listening to um, those little ex- story extracts, go and get a copy of the book. Yeah. You, or you, you can, the links are in the description. And you can follow me on Twitter as well, because then I'm going on about all the, all, the, all the other stuff, and then you'll find out everything. But yeah, the subs... Follow James on Twitter. The, the links will be in the... Dis- Guess what, yeah. folks? Links in the description for everything. Yes. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Thanks, James. Have a lovely day. Yes, you too. Uh, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy Paris. I will indeed. Enjoy right. the southwest of London. All right, okay. mate. Bye. Cheers. Bye bye. So that was James Harris back on the podcast again. Very nice to talk to him. And uh, why don't you buy his book? It could be a good thing to read to practice your English because, of course, you've got to do plenty of reading as well, you know, as well as listening. Obviously, it's completely up to you, but it's just a gentle suggestion. If you're looking for something to read, you could read his book. It's, you know, written in sort of modern uh, English. You know, it's not sort of an old fashioned, it's not old fashioned English the sort of thing you might get from books written in the in the 19th century or something. This is modern, up-to-date stuff. You know James now, so that might make it a bit more interesting that you can sort of, you feel more of a personal connection to the author. That might make the reading a bit more engaging and interesting for you. Uh, anyway, if you're interested, you can check it out. The link for the book is in the description and also the link for the book is on the page for this episode on my website. And the book's got five stars on Amazon, so that's nice, isn't it? And I imagine that my my German listeners, hello German listeners, hello there, guten Tag. Uh, I imagine my listeners in Germany would be particularly interested in reading that book because obviously a lot of the events take place in Germany. So it might be interesting for you to see Germany through the eyes of an Englishman, that might be an interesting read. So go ahead and check it out. Uh, Link in the description and on the episode page. Okay. Also, you'll find a link for James's email newsletter, Stiff Upper Quip. A quip is like a little joke that you would say on in the moment, like a little funny comment. And Stiff Upper Lip is a thing that people often say about the English, that we have a stiff upper lip, which it's it's just a way of saying that we have um, our, our way of behaving is that we keep our emotions under control. You know, to have a stiff upper lip means to be very sort of English and not really let your emotions come out too much. Keep your emotions under control. It's a sort of a phrase that people have used a lot of, a lot over the years. You know, stiff upper lip, meaning, um, you know, don't make too much of a fuss. Uh, keep everything under control emotionally. But this is not stiff upper lip, it's stiff upper quip. You see, you see what he did? A little play on words. And um, so, yeah, the email newsletter, James writes these articles and funny or insightful pieces of writing. Uh, and then sort of sends them out to everyone in his email newsletter on a regular basis. You'll find the link in the description and on the episode page for that as well. Okay, good. All right, then. Not much more for me to add here. I I hope you've been enjoying the recent episodes. 
It's still January. You know, it's still early days for 2023. I've got loads of episodes in the pipeline, tons of them. Lots of episodes with guests for some reason. Lots of people have been contacting me uh, to see if I'd be interested in talking to them on the podcast. And uh, so you've got some, you've got plenty of episodes with guests coming up. In fact, I've got so many episodes in the pipeline that I've probably got episodes already recorded and in various stages of post-production. I've got episodes in a queue that will probably take me up all the way until maybe April. So it's, yeah, everyone wants to be on this podcast but I'll, I'll mix up those episodes with a, with some other things. But you're certainly going to get lots of conversations with guests on the podcast until the spring, I would say. I might mix it up with some rambling episodes or episodes where I'm just on my own. But certainly it'll be lots of episodes with guests over the next few weeks, okay? Including uh, the return of Amber and Paul. Uh, Amber and Paul were here in the pod cupboard here at the Podcastle just a few days ago and we recorded an episode together, a typically tangential talk. Uh, So Amber and Paul will be back. Uh, James, my brother, will be back on the podcast as well. I've recorded something with him. Um, I recorded something with him. Was it yesterday or the day before? Anyway, just very recently. So I'm sort of putting an episode with him together. And also other people, other guests, including returning guests, people who've been on the podcast before, maybe for one or two episodes, and I've had lots of requests to have them back. And um, so some new guests, some returning guests, more of the same variety on Luke's English podcast. I hope that you enjoy the episodes as they come. And I hope that you are having a lovely morning, afternoon, evening or night, whether you are sitting comfortably in a chair, whether you're horizontal, lying down, um, slowly falling asleep, or maybe you are upright, standing somewhere, just standing in the street, waiting for a bus, or walking to work, hurry up, don't be late, or you're running to to keep fit, left, right, left, right, left, right, that's it, left, right, not left, right, right, left, 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 right, right, no, don't hop and skip, although you can hop and skip, as far as I'm concerned, because that's happy, isn't it, if you're skipping down the street. Anyway, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, uh, whatever your situation, I hope that you are doing okay. And uh, keep your chin up, all right? And don't forget to be excellent to each other, please. And I will speak to you very soon in the next episode. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.